0: Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. I'm Justin Coachola alongside Tim Perth. It is Thursday, October 14th, and we are talking about a uh, a colossal collapse in the final minutes of a uh, you know pretty critical football game for the Virginia Tech program, at least from a marketing standpoint. That's against the Notre Dame Irish, so we're going to talk about that one, what it means, uh, what happened, and uh, you know our assessment. That's that's what we're doing here. We're also going to look at Pitt, uh, probably the uh, the most important matchup of the season for Virginia Tech. Now that we've got a few games under the belt and we kind of know uh, how the season's tracking, uh, we're going to bring you do some lines. We're going to recap the uh, ACC Week Six action. But before all that, Tim, what's going on?
1: Oh, you know, just watching the United States attempt to close out a game against Costa Rica uh, for World Cup qualifying, for those that don't pay attention or maybe live under a rock, the United States didn't qualify the last World Cup cycle, so this cycle is absolutely crucial um, and a really disappointing uh, loss over the weekend to uh, Panama, which really kind of set the uh, the momentum back that the United States had, had kind of gotten and... Um, Greg Berhalter, an overall frustrating coach, but uh, it looks like the United States may pull it out. I don't want to jinx anything, but um, yeah, World Cup qualifying, if uh, the United States fails to qualify again for the second straight time, I I may cry.
0: Yeah, it's um, honestly like I don't have much soccer talk for you. I'm not a uh, a viewer of the sport. The most soccer I can really talk is the latest episode of Ted Lasso, but glorious Um, i do recall the um the collapse last time and that's when i do engage in soccer it's the world cup and i always enjoy it uh but it really sucked to not have the u.s there last time
1: yeah it was um it was tough i mean the world cup has always been probably my favorite sporting event of of all of them favoritist great word favoritist did i say favoritist you did (laughs) wow it is late um so yeah my favorite sporting event is obviously the world cup and you know not having the united states qualify last year was tough Uh, that was one of the more emotional moments for me as a sports fan uh you know it's kind of painful when you have to wait four years for it to come around again um you know the united states this time around has probably the best youth um, and the most talented youth the united states has ever had on the field collectively at one time but they've got a coach who struggles with identity um, lineup selection and uh puzzling substitutions at times. And huh. in soccer, that's identity weird. is everything. I know, really weird parallels there. And uh you I mean, know, I am just not sure what that's Greg like to deal with. Uh, we wouldn't know. I'm I'm not sure Greg really is the man for the job, but he's gonna be the guy who's gonna have to get us out of the octagonal and uh into the World Cup. So, you know, a three points here against the Ticos from Costa Rica would be a good thing. So we got uh, 30 seconds left in the game, so I'm going to be on pins and needles for the next 30 seconds till that ref blows the whistle.
0: There you go. Well, yeah, you know, if this is your first time listening, thanks for uh, thanks for stopping by. Again, we're a podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. Do us a favor, leave us a review, uh, preferably five stars. Tell your friends, uh, anybody who is interested in Virginia Tech or uh, ACC football. We try to jump around the conference as well. We... Um, we like to to cover all bases here, so appreciate you spreading the word. How did I do on filling that thirty second uh, time slot there, Tim? We, we pretty good. Yeah, okay. whistle's okay.
1: blown. The United States wins. So there I'm you gonna go. hop over to something else sporty, and we'll you know we'll move on. But I'm sure there's uh, somebody playing some sport out there on ESPN Plus. Which if you're not subscribed, uh, it's well worth the money, especially now that I think. Almost every hockey game out of market is going to be on there. So for okay. five bucks a month, I think it is. It's a it's a no brainer.
0: Well, you know, to jump into football here, I haven't been uh, really looking forward to talking about uh, this this weekend's past game. If I'm uh, being a hundred percent honest, then uh, I disengaged. I uh, jumped on Twitter Sunday morning and I promptly jumped off. I literally could not stomach it. Um, you know Saturday night was uh, difficult <laughs> for sure. um, I, I just kind of stayed away from it because I was so just dejected after after that game and you know honestly the game as it was unfolding I just I couldn't help but think of the 2007 loss to Boston College Oof. a game that uh, I believe we were in the stands for freezing and you know, yep. being rained on. Um, and, I mean, really, you know, comparing the two games, far less important game this time around, right? And, you know, at the time, Virginia Tech was number eight. Boston College was number two in the country. There was really a national title, you know, spot on the line. And Virginia Tech ended up avenging that loss later in the season to uh, to the Matt Ryan-led Boston College Eagles in the ACC Championship down there in Jacksonville. But, um as far as like importance for the program, um, the look in the field of the program, and and really just kind of an endorsement win for this staff. Like this had the opportunity to just be on the minds of Virginia Tech football fans or anybody engaged in the program or any kind of recruiting trip for forever. I mean, I think if you look at uh, how how the game ended and what was happening at the quarterback position, and then you've got Braxton Burmeister coming off the bench, making a big throw on third down, taking a, a, a rush to the house for 19 yards to score the go-ahead touchdown. You know, it's like, that was huge. Carrying you
1: know? an injury nonetheless. Um, Very I injured. will say, credit to Braxton, regardless of how you feel about his talent level, where he should be or how he should be playing uh, through the air. That was one of the grittiest performances I think I've seen. And I hate saying grit. I hate the word. My program has made me hate that word. Um, but that defined Well, they do grit, have it on their helmets. so They do. And um, I can't say enough good things about Braxton and what he was able to do, the composure, the third down throw, which you mentioned, which was as clutch as could be, and that scamper for the score, which was uh, just incredible. Um, it's a shame that we couldn't pull the game out uh, for Braxton and, and for everybody in attendance for the team, obviously. But, uh, that just added to a little bit of that bitter feeling, uh, once the whistle blew.
0: Yeah. And there were obviously things that, you know, happened up until that point where, you know, we'll, we'll talk about here, but, you know, I felt like after the game, uh, as I was sitting there sulking, um, really just enraged. I, uh, I just remembered yelling at the television as soon as they started interviewing Brian Kelly, um, as he was blaming the laser lights, and he was just like, "We have to go." I just angrily turned off the television and just can, sat there. Can we stop calling in that a laser for forty-five can, minutes?
1: Can, can we stop calling the? Flash well, light, I like the how they just pulled a the
0: guy up. Who, you know, I think he was back to Castle Coliseum, and it's like, do, do we know if that was the guy? <laughs> it's like it could have just <laughs> been a guy with a light.
1: Yeah, no, I just I got tired of the laser talk on the TV oh and God. uh yeah. from there wasn't a laser. Um a strobe light. Everybody yeah, in the stadium. Probably not phone, ideal if you're a kicker, on. but
0: right. <laughs> it's
1: um, just ridiculous.
0: But really, I, it felt like to me that Saturday night it was like the beginning of the end for the Fuente era. Um and the finish to the game was oddly poetic if you will if you stop and think about it because it really kind of summarized the majority of the Fuente era you know poor decision making out coached yep not setting your team up for the best situation to win
1: yeah
0: and you know there were a variety of other things but that's really kind of what this game came down to and We've seen it time and time again, you know, specifically over the last couple of years. Um, We've seen it twice this year now. You know, there's nine points separating Virginia Tech from being undefeated and being three and two. Um, Virginia Tech offensively, I thought they outperformed my expectations, to be honest with you, in the game. Um, At least from a scoring standpoint. You know, yeah. there's, there's some things that need attention, don't get me wrong. But, you know, it's just time and time again, you see the same things happening. So what am I talking about? Red zone execution for one. You know, how many times is this team going to get down to inside the three-yard line and not be able to score on three attempts? And some people were complaining about the field goal attempt. Like, I didn't think they had another choice. They cannot score inside the five. It can't happen. When was the last time it happened? It just doesn't happen. They get down there and they stall. I have zero confidence that this team has any chance of scoring a touchdown when they're inside the five. And I don't understand it. I, I, I don't understand why that is. But the play that it really just kind of blows my mind, Tim, and... I mean, it really just blew my mind. Was the two-point attempt after the Jermaine Waller interception to take the lead, right? And yeah, I mean
1: that was that was coaching malpractice.
0: I didn't have an issue with going for two there. Okay, you've got Connor Blummer in the game at this point because Burmeister's already left injured. You're on the two. You're going for two. You're trying to set up a three-score game or a three-point game. I get it. Okay, I get that. But then you have a false start. Okay, so there's already two strikes now on you. One, you're inside the three. We already know you can't get in the end zone there. Okay? But you're going to go for it anyways. I can get past that. Number two, you just backed yourself up five yards. So you're now at the seven, eight-yard line.
1: With your backup quarterback.
0: With your backup quarterback who has not attempted a pass at any point in the season during a real-life football game until that very moment. Yep. And you're thinking to yourself, they're not actually going to go for two here. They're going to call a timeout. But why, why they sent the offense back out there, I have no idea. And then what happens? They run the play, throws a pick or whatever you want to call that. And that's that. So they basically surrender a point. And it made absolutely zero sense, and it's just not setting your team up for success. You have to understand the situation. I I get we we sometimes make decisions that we immediately regret, and I can imagine that was what happened to Fuentes there on the sideline. Um, I hope but so. When you're paid millions of dollars annually and you've had coaching issues in the past and you don't have the control to say you know what we were going to take a risk here we were going to be aggressive now we've done backed ourselves up we're at the eight I've got a guy who can't throw the football or I don't trust to throw the football and I'm going to put him in a throwing situation here for one shot at two points when I can go ahead and get one I think I'm going to go ahead and take the extra point but he opts not to. And then you go on throughout the game. Tech scores the touchdown, the Braxton Burmeister touchdown run. At that point, there's 3.55 left in the game. And, of course, hindsight is 20-20 in this scenario. But you're thinking to yourself, well, it'd be really nice to have a 30-21 lead, not a 29-21 to lead. And then what happens? ESPN's probability chart, Tim, goes up to 96 point whatever percent for the Hokies to win that's how locked up they had it Tyler Buckner who surprises the defense in the first half I think it was a situation where Tyler Buckner was not the guy they thought would come in it was either going to be Drew Pine or Jack Cohn. Buckner comes in moving the ball down the field making some nice plays with his arms doesn't complete a pass in the second half throws two interceptions So what does Notre Dame do? Boom, they go back to Jack Cohn, the guy who can throw the football. The guy that they trust to throw the football. So what does Virginia Tech do? Do they go back to the defense that got Jack Cohn out of the game in the first quarter? Absolutely stifling defense. We're getting pressure on him. Lockdown coverage. No.
1: Nope. We decide to make it as easy on a quarterback as you can possibly make it. Play soft coverage in a quasi-prevent. And... That to me is, it, it, it's painful because it's so typical. You see this happen so many times, and I can't for the life of me ever figure out when you have a defense that's worked an entire game, why you decide to switch it up when you need that defense to continue to play like they had the entire game. And to me, the, the logic issue- tells you logic tells you to keep playing the same defense you had played, and the only way. To make Jack Cone comfortable is to do exactly what we did. And I, I thought Hamilton did a great job the entire game. I don't know. I, I would hope it's, it's Hamilton's call and Hamilton's call only to go soft. Um, and it's unfortunate that he did because I think that was a huge, huge f- oversight. Um, but it just, you could feel it happening. And they marched right up the field.
0: Right up the field, Tim. And it's it's not like they hadn't seen Jack Cohn in the game. No. That's what was so frustrating about it. Right. And, you know, I don't think Justin Hamilton was on that 7 team. I think he had graduated by that point. I could be wrong. But you've got to learn something from history. That's why it's there. And it was literally the same thing that happened in that game to where... They shut out Boston College for 57 minutes and 49 seconds, whatever it was. And then they get the touchdown, onside kick, lost, drive down the field, boom, touchdown, game's over, colossal collapse. And that was essentially what happened here. They move away from the defense that worked in the first quarter against Cone. They go into this soft coverage, prevent, whatever we want to call it, and They go seven plays, 75 yards, in a minute and 29 seconds. Plus a two-point conversion to tie the game. Yep. All that being said, the game is tied still. Okay? There's about two and a half minutes left in the game. And Virginia Tech gets the ball back, and they come to a decision, right? It's fourth and one at your own 27. Not not an easy decision
1: but for for some if you're for feeling me kind it would of have been a very easy game, decision
0: if you're feeling the pace of the game right you've lost momentum you just had a big play down the field to Trey Turner that essentially you know maybe he gets into the end zone maybe not but he had wide open space to run you're in field goal range you're probably going to win the game at that point Notre Dame just drove down the field on you like, you know, they were in a sports car on, you know, the Pacific Coast Highway. And instead of being aggressive like they were at the end of the first half for the first time all season, maybe the Fuente era, they they kick it away and they leave it up to their defense and uh, they, they move the ball, they're playing the same kind of defense, they get in the field goal range and the game's over. And it was the defense, it was the decision-making that led to those points to where it's just like, how does this keep happening? And that's what's so frustrating about Virginia Tech football because, as I said with the 2007 game, we, we just don't seem to be acknowledging what traditionally happens in certain situations with this football team. Especially with the Fuente era, because it's the same things over and over and over. Like, I really hope they spent a good amount of time during the bye week on red zone execution, but it didn't look like it did it. It sure did. Was there anything that looked different between red zone execution in this week's game compared to a couple of weeks ago against West Virginia? No. The only thing that was the same was the result. And yeah. Here we are. It's now approaching mid-October. Virginia Tech's through the non-conference, right? They're 3 and 2. Could be 4 and 1, could be 5 and 0, could be this, could be that, but you are what you are. So they're 3 and 2. They've scored 36 offensive points in their last two games that includes an FCS opponent. Ugh. And they're heading into eight straight conference games, the majority of which are going to be on the road in starting October 30th. So, yes, they're one to know in the ACC. Yes, this game didn't hurt them from an ACC standpoint. It hasn't derailed them from the end goal of winning the Coastal and getting to that ACC championship, but what it does do is it It puts a doubt in your mind about where this team can go. Um, Not just from the player standpoint, but how far or how far back this coaching staff is going to keep them. And that's kind of where I'm
1: at right now. No, I agree. At some point, you have to look at certain statistics to understand that as it stands today, a Justin Fuente coached football team is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Two stats that were thrown around on Twitter before and after the game um, that completely blow my mind because they, they represent in hard numbers inarguable uh, points that should have any coach in America fired. That is the one which is the most surprising under Justin Fuente, Virginia Tech is 2 and 13 when the spread is 3 points or less. So what you're talking about is there are toss underdog
0: plus favorite both ways? Yeah,
1: it's, it's a mix. Okay. So you talk about on its head that statistic should be 500. Okay, that's like having a multiple-choice test, selecting C every time, and expecting to get a 25. Um, you should have those go your way and against you. If you're an average coach... At a 500 clip. Um, I would even say a bad coach should be able to get that out of that at a 500 clip. Now, a good coach, you would expect to see a little bit of an edge in toss up games. At least I would hope so. I'm not talking about a massive swing, but maybe winning 55 to 60% of those games. 2 and 13. That is an abomination. Um, That is a statistical abomination. Maybe worse than that, coming off of a bye week. Virginia Tech is 0-5 in the Fuente era. 0-5. So what does that tell you? Well, one, it tells me that given an extra week of prep, our team sees no benefit from spending more time with the coaches and having more time to game plan. That's about as damning as it gets. Couple it with the 2-13 and stat I mentioned before, And that is what I mean when I say a self-fulfilling prophecy. You can't do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. In year six, we have a known quantity at head coach at Virginia Tech, and it's not a pretty picture. And I don't want to hear about this loss not hurting us, because that seems to be, I guess, the new uh, excuse from the few supporters Fuente has left, because this game does hurt you. Justin, what happens to the morale of a team after two straight, you know, not two straight, but two losses of this nature early in the season? You think there's a chance they're demoralized a little bit?
0: Well, it's, it's, it's not going to be positive.
1: No. What would a win against a ranked team do for you as far as, far as momentum goes and confidence? You a would think lot. it
0: would, would increase your chances of executing better at a higher level
1: nothing in this beautiful sport happens in a vacuum and I hate that excuse of waving away a result because it quote unquote doesn't hurt you every game matters your performance in every game matters and so far in games that matter we've seen in the Fuente era a plethora of heartbreak poor decision-making teams that aren't ready Teams that look ill-prepared, scheming issues, and a myriad of other things that have damned this program now for three to four years. And I don't know at what point, how many years it's going to take for everybody to get on this train. But I will say it does seem like the vast majority of Hokie Nation is now now has their eyes open to some of the stuff we were saying two to three years ago. That was bothering us. And nothing has changed. It well, may have gotten, gotten worse. It may have gotten worse. I, I'm not sure. I mean, some of the stuff we've seen as far as coaching decisions go, that call to stick with a two-point conversion after a false start with your backup quarterback may be in the laundry list of boneheaded decisions that I've seen over the years by far the boneheadedest, my least favoritest call that I've ever witnessed because it doesn't make any damn sense and I can't wrap my head around it. The fourth and one irritated me too because we had seen what had just happened to that defense. You know what the momentum swing would do there. You had to get one yard. If we're in year six and we can't back ourselves to get one yard in a crucial scenario like that, what are we even doing? I mean, I hate that that's what I say in, in all of these large, these primetime games, these games where, you know, Virginia Tech really needs to defend Lane and make a statement, get a big win. And I feel like after every one of these games, we're talking about decisions that I feel like we have no business talking about for someone as experienced as, as Justin Fuente is. This is year six. I wouldn't and expect it, such poor decisions from a high school football program. It
0: really comes when, down at to At least prep when you're too. talking about
1: the two-point conversion issue.
0: It comes down to prep hundred I mean, do, do you not have a play in your back pocket for fourth and one deep in your own territory, where you know, hey, this is the potentially the play that we have to run to either win the game or to to go and win the game, right? You should. You should already know what that play is. Of course, it's not. Let me scour through the playbook and let's draw up something on the on on the fly here. But they're they're so unprepared for for these situations to where from a coaching staff standpoint, it, it's just it's hard to watch because it, it's like it catches them off guard. It's like we didn't expect this to happen. We right. didn't expect to be in a close game with Notre Dame down to the wire where we may need to make a tough decision on fourth and one late to see whether or not we're going to try and go win the game with our offense or if we're going to put it away and, and put the game on our defense. And the latter is what they opted to do. But I, don't, I really don't think the former was even like a, a consideration.
1: It's a single yard. It is a single damn yard. If you're not confident in your ability to gain a yard in year six with the most comfortable passing system you've ever had since Gerard Evans was a quarterback, you have gargantuan problems. And I'm not saying I would expect a pass on 4th and 1. I, I would hope that wouldn't have been the play call. Hell, I wouldn't have been upset to see us line up and quarterback sneak it and take the snap directly under center. Center, As preposterous as that idea is, we saw that work this game. Taking snaps under center and short yardage worked this game. We finally decided that that was something worth doing after screaming out for those exact type of play calls in, in prior games this season. And instead, we curl up into a shell, we get scared of success, we're spooked by our own shadow, and we decide to kick it. Now, in the heat of the moment, I tweeted that, call me crazy, but I would have gone for that. The, I, I got mixed reactions to that tweet. A lot of people said, yeah, you're crazy. Yeah, you're you're absolutely nuts. And I don't understand that mentality at all, Justin. I don't get it. Well, I saw Dwight nuts? Vic
0: quote tweet it and say, I agree. Well, as because a former the, player. The,
1: the game is in your hands at that point right the game is in your hands and what do you do when you kick it you get rid of control
0: i mean what's the worst that can happen what are what happened to you
1: here that's my other side of the token you lost the worst the worst thing that could have happened is yeah we probably would have forced a field goal and had about a minute and a half left on the clock to go work and try to score ourselves right so sorry i don't see the alternative now, if you look at the analytics, and I don't have the stat in front of me, but it was about a 71% uh, chance the numbers agree that you should go for that yep. instead of kicking it. And if you look at the overall amount of decisions we've made, we by far are at the bottom of the power five. In what, and I won't equate the actual stat because it doesn't make sense when you say it over a podcast. Basically, the stat boils down to making the wrong call in those scenarios. We by far have hurt ourselves lost winning position based on those decisions more than anyone in the Power 5 if 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 that doesn't scare you what, what the hell is wrong with you we can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results and at this point I've seen this movie too many damn times it's like a rerun of Men in Black on TBS you know what's going to happen it's 2am you can't sleep and you've seen this movie 18 times and you're sick of it Well, I'm I'm trying not to be a negative Nancy here, but what is there left? What, What do I have to cling on to? What does Justin Fuente do well? And no one can seem to provide an answer to that. And if in year six, you can't point to something on the wall and say, this, this is the proof of concept. This is what Justin Fuente does well. What the hell are we doing?
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think, too, the the thing is to consider here, it's like, you know, you, you talk about it from a player standpoint in the NFL, it's like, this is franchise year, right? He's gonna, he's got one more year left on his deal, he's trying to he's trying to make money this year. Well, Fuente's trying to save his job. He's and been
1: stealing money for years.
0: If he doesn't feel that way, then he should, and I'm, who knows how he feels about it, but Either way, he's going to get paid out. So I think that's the difference between being a coach and being a player. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I think from what I saw at the end of the game, there's a, a still shot of Fuente and Kelly. With Kelly, has got his, his hand on Fuente's chest, and they're at midfield, and Fuente is just looking straight past him. And it's the most defeated i think i've ever seen fuente look on a football field and i think he realized that this was on him and i will say for this season there's been a lot more self-awareness from that standpoint with fuente and i can just hear it in his his comments i can hear it in his press conferences and it could have just been with how the the photo was taken or whatever but i'll i'll find it he he looked like a defeated man at that point obviously his team just lost a a football game which uh, you know if you're listening to this we're we're putting on him and i think he put on himself in a lot of ways and you know i think from that standpoint that's where fuente has grown this year the issue is it just keeps happening now so there's two games that you can really kind of pinpoint to where You know, hey, the coaching staff, they they really didn't do enough to to help this team win the game this year. And they're 0-2 in those games. But my takeaways, the one positive was incredible performance by Burmeister there at the end.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: A A mixed game overall, but it looked like he was not coming back in. And had Blumberg not left Hurt, I don't know if he does get back in the game. And... Who knows what happens? Virginia Tech probably gets blown out because Bl- Blumrick is not the answer. The Blumrick offense full-time is not the answer. Blumrick is great for a package or two here and there, but he can't be your, your plan B quarterback.
1: No, and I was honest to goodness, I was surprised he, that was our plan B quarterback, to be to right. be completely honest with you. Um, I mean,
0: that, that interception must have just really turned them off to Kato in that Richmond game.
1: It must have, and if if that's what's doing it, I would hope it's years of lack of development and uh, what you've seen in practice that would lead you to believe that. But if that's the case, then I feel bad for Knox because he was put behind the eight ball in that scenario in another one of the most mystifying, boneheaded, college football head coach decisions that I've ever seen. And if that's the case, I feel terrible for him. But that that speaks to another point. I feel for all of these players because they deserve – better stewardship than they're getting right now uh, from the head ball coach. And the, the gauntlet has to be laid somewhere. And, and like you, we're hearing some accountability from Fuente, and yeah, that's nice. Um, but it, it's too little too late. We've seen this far too long, and it's heartbreaking. But if you want to get away from the negative, um, Jermaine Waller is playing some of the best cornerback that I've seen for Virginia Tech in quite some time and he looks I yeah. mean a healthy Jermaine Waller is a a stud. Uh Well, it's, you know, it's Bra- vintage 2019
0: did. with him and Farley. I mean, you yeah. you see why the two of them in the same secondary are the best tandem in the country. For sure. And that's what's so frustrating is yeah, the talent, the talent is we're there, We're having Justin. him play on an, on an on an island. Not not in man coverage but 10 yards off the receiver. And it's like, put Jermaine Waller up against anybody. Yeah, he got beat at one point earlier in the game. I don't care. I'd rather no. him get beat playing aggressive than to get beat because the receiver had 10 yards. to make Right, he's
1: play. 10 yards off the ball. Um, I, I'm with you. I'm the same way. Live by the sword, die by the sword. I'd love to see some aggression. And, um, you know, we see it for the most part in a lot of these game plans. I think, I think Hamilton is doing a, a, a fine job. By and large, this year, I think he's been impressive, especially when you consider the year-over-year improvement. Now, if he was the one that made the final call to go into the prevent defense and completely switch it up, he made a horrible error. Um, But I'm not here to ride Justin Hamilton. That guy's two years into the job, with the first year being probably as awful of a draw as you could ever ask for as a young defensive coordinator. Taking, uh, you know... Taking steps behind the legend that was Bud Foster to deal with COVID, to deal with a new install of a scheme, to make the turnaround that he's made. I just can't, I can't hammer Hamilton at this point. Um, But I I will tell you. Like
0: you said, young defensive coordinator, he'll learn from this.
1: Yeah, 100%. I hope he will.
0: It is what it is, right?
1: Yeah, it is what it is. I just, I hate to sound like the podcast that's so negative, um, but. There's not just a whole lot positive here, and we're beaten down like I imagine a lot of Hokies fans are, and uh, I don't don't see the path out of here, and I, I see a lot of hate for Braxton and his ability at quarterback, and if you are somebody that wants to blame Braxton, consider how we got here. Consider how long he's been developing under this staff. Look and at consider and that this staff has backed him. This year. That's, that's where I was going to get. To see the success that Hennan Hooker <laughs> has had, fifth best quarterback in the NCAs right now, it's, it, it almost makes me sick to my stomach. Because that's, that's our proof of concept right there in regards to the lack of development from our quarterbacks. We've been screaming it for years, talking about the system holding the quarterbacks back, the lack of development holding quarterbacks back. Well, now you've got something you can point to. you got a hypo at Tennessee who is, yes, a proven offensive mind, but look at what he's done with the quarterback that wasn't good enough to start at Virginia Tech and if that doesn't make you question, everyone's enough about to start the, at Tennessee the program either. right well of course, of course, but Hinden does what Hinden does, about. and uh, he's, he's, he's tearing it up and. We saw glimpses of this quarterback in his time at Virginia Tech. This this hurts. It's surprising, but we knew that was a good quarterback. And for us to sit here with the passing game and the state that it's in right now, with everything that we know, I don't want to see any more development of a quarterback under Justin Fuente. I've seen enough. If Justin thinks a quarterback is good enough to play Virginia Tech at a high level, run for the hills. Because all this tells you, when you see this broken down, you see Quincy having success. And Quincy is about the perfect quarterback for that North Dakota State system. So I'm not going to harp on Quincy too much. But even Quincy is delivering some gorgeous balls now that that North Dakota State is allowing him to throw. Justin Fuente and, and Brad Cornelson have no clue what it takes to be a successful quarterback at this level. And that's clear to me based on the evidence presented to us in some quotes in the offseason. And if we don't start getting behind this thing and realizing that, yeah, mediocrity shouldn't be acceptable here and realize that we allowed mediocrity to seep in over the course of six years based off of an absolutely incredible talent that we were lucky enough to have at our school for one year in Gerard Evans, we're kidding ourselves. And the more you allow mediocrity to seep in, the more it becomes the standard. And I don't want this to be the standard at Virginia Tech anymore. I just, I'm done with it. I've seen what I needed to see. I saw what I needed to see last year. And at some point, enough is enough and changes have to be made. But this game was a microcosm of everything that's occurred the last five years in the Fuente era. And I think at this point, it's clear to say it's not getting better.
0: Yeah, and the the other question I have is just, what are we doing in the run game, you know? Frustrating. You've got your backs (laughs) combined for 20 carries and 46 yards, but Raheem Blackshear had eight carries for 35. He looked good. So he had 35 of the 46, and he only got eight carries. Jalen Holston has just been... He hasn't been given the opportunity in the last few games And it just feels like You know there There's no strategy back there at running back And there's there's no focus on running the football in um, I, just, I just don't understand why they're not giving a guy like Blackshear more opportunities He's one of your game breakers there on offense You're clearly not going to play any of the other preseason game breakers Like Payute or Lofton so maybe give Blackshear more opportunities. So that's just the last thing I wanted to bring up was just you know kind of what what's happening there. But yeah, let's uh, you know we're gonna talk about VTN a little bit when we preview pit. Let's go around the ACC real quick, Tim. Uh, look at week six here. So another team that's struggling a bit, um, you know our our least favorite North Carolina school. Uh, it, it's just raining L's in Chapel Hill.
1: I mean, yeah. That Florida game looked less and less impressive by the second, man.
0: Florida State goes on the road and just, I mean, pretty much destroys them. I mean, the the score was closer than the game, which was yep. still a 10-point loss. And it's the first time Florida State's won back-to-back games since 2019, which is, to say that out loud, is unreal. Uh, Mac Brown, an FSU alum. Never beaten his alma mater, zero and eleven, which, I mean, let's be honest, it's it's a, it's the respectful thing to do, so I can give him a pass there. But I love the spin zone Brown had at the end of the game, <laughs> yeah. where he says expectations for the year have been quote out of kilter, which is called, in in my opinion trying to control the narrative about the job he and his staff are doing, which has been trash. 12 penalties, 110 yards in the game for UNC, for 110 yards in the game for UNC. I mean, if Mac Brown wasn't so, what's the word I'm looking for, unfireable for North Carolina, I think he would be on the hot seat right now.
1: Well, it's just funny to me when you hear Mac talk about those expectations. Mac, I didn't hear you saying much during the preseason. You seemed okay then. Seemed so okay So what changed? Yeah, you yep. seemed happy to, a former member of the media, Mac Brown, was eating it up. Oh, look at that old feller in the Air Jordans with a, a top 20 ranked football team with a Heisman Trophy candidate. He dances um, in the locker room. Oh, he dances? Oh my goodness, he's so cool. Well, cool only gets you so far. And I think what we're seeing with UNC is is what we talked about in the off season, which was just the amount of talent they lost was insane. And to think that UNC was going to lose all that talent and hit the ground running as if nothing happened was always a pipe dream. But, you know, it's insane to me, even with all that considered that they are losing to Florida State, this Florida State team, in the manner that they did, kind of blows me away. And you talk about a poor coaching job. Mac Brown's uh, making the case for the absolute worst coaching job in Power 5 this year. <laughs> yeah, but
0: honestly, like he makes North Carolina relevant, whether he's good or not. And I, I think he'll be at North Carolina for as long as he wants to be. I don't think he will ever be fired from there. Um, because without him, they they're not much. And I mean, they've invested a lot of money into that football program, but at the end of the day, they're they're just not a football school. And I, I just want to say too, I know the Jordan brand is getting into football, but I just hate how the Jumpman logo looks on football uniforms. Can we be in agreement there?
1: No, absolutely. And I thought it was great uh the I don't know who it was, Florida State wide receiver that did the uh, Jumpman pose after his oh, touchdown. Yeah. That, was, that was just art. That was chef's kiss. Beautiful. And that was the
0: best thing I've seen from Florida State football in almost, you know, eight, eight years since they won the national championship.
1: Yeah. Was it Denny Green that had that meltdown screaming, we are who they. we thought they were oh, yeah. at the end of that playoff mm-hmm. game with the Cardinals? Well, yeah. Denny Green would be yelling at the television right now about UNC is exactly who we thought. They're UNC. And right. at some point, it's going to take a lot to shake that. But I think we've got this revisionist history in our minds about who UNC was last year. Newsflash: they were still UNC last year. Were they were they eight and four last year?
0: They had three losses last year. I think they were nine. And three, three
1: losses. They were still UNC. Right. They, they still choked against a terrible Florida State team, and we had it. I think the media in their heads, I guess, thought the DNA had been you know the the DNA had changed sequences and. North Carolina was the new come-up Clemson, and that there was a dynasty being built. And wow, I, a little wide of the mark. Syracuse Wake was
0: entertaining. Um, yeah, it was. Sam Hartman threw a dime to A.T. Perry there in overtime. They went forty to thirty-seven. So they survived the always difficult trip to the Carrier Dome. Syracuse, you know, I was saying, tough out. Cary a tough place to play. Yeah, you called it. Syracuse is not a gimme game for anybody this year. And they are going to beat somebody. I think it actually could be this week on Friday I, night.
1: I think it's just psychologically my brain isn't ready to accept that a Dungy-less uh, Syracuse team could actually be a problem. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think at this point I kind of have to just rewire my brain to accept the fact that they are way more of a problem than I want to give them credit for. Because Wake Forest was flying high coming into this game and, and still somewhat riding a, a huge wave of momentum. But to see Syracuse uh, able to go blow for blow with them was eye opening.
0: Well, I think the change they made at quarterback is.
1: Oh, yeah. It's why,
0: huge. right? And it's not like yeah. Garrett Trader, he's, he's bl- like his numbers blow you off the page, right? But what it's done has made Syracuse a team that is really good at running the football on offense, controlling the clock, and they play good defense and have good special teams. Right. And teams like that are typically difficult to beat, whether they're good or not. That's why Georgia Tech was so difficult under Paul Johnson for so long. You have that gimmicky type of offense, not that Syracuse's offense is gimmicky to that extent, but they're undermanned from a talent perspective, but the system works. And Sean Tucker, the running back for Syracuse, I mean, that dude's putting up monster numbers. And he doesn't get the play that other guys do, a lot like Mateo Durant, who's he he just gets lost in the fold at Duke there. But he's putting up big numbers on the ground. Schrader is a much better runner than a passer at this standpoint, but it's working for that Syracuse offense. So it's going to be an interesting game Friday night when Clemson goes up there. Uh, Virginia comes back from a 33-13 deficit going into the fourth quarter to beat Louisville on the road and if you're Scott Siderfield, or really anyone who who likes Louisville football, you're you're sick after that loss. I mean you're sick because Oh man. They just took their foot off the gas. They let UVA right back into the game. It's a team that continues to have no run game. I'm pretty sure they're just gonna throw the ball until Armstrong's arm falls off. Sixty pass attempts. In the game, Tim.
1: 40 and who needs to run for when you're, yeah, 40 for 60 in almost 500 yards? Who needs a run game at that point? So, I mean, the Virginia not. Not when you're team. down
0: 33 13 going into the fourth quarter, you don't.
1: No. I mean, I, Virginia is a team that I think looked at the talent and the roster construction and realized, hey, if we're going to win ball games, we're chucking it. We're going down swinging. And it's, it's worked kind of. Uh, you know, obviously some matchups will be tougher than others, and I think Louisville's they're pass surviving. defense...
0: They're surviving.
1: Yeah, they're surviving. They're, right. they're making the best of what they can. And, and a, a team like Louisville, who has a bit of a shaky pass defense, um, maybe I should have put more stock into that matchup and how difficult it was going to be for them. But um, Virginia, surviving. And sometimes yeah. that's all and you can ask for.
0: That was a big, big survive win there because they already have two losses. Um, they're in the Coastal, you've still got two undefeated teams, although only one game played um, for each in Pitt and Virginia Tech, and obviously one of those teams will have a loss this week. And UVA hasn't played either of those teams, so to a sense, you know, you could see Virginia controlling their own destiny at some point, right? Um, so we'll see how that kind of plays out. Georgia Tech sneaks by Duke, 31-27. Jeff Sims with the big day, not a dominant performance, but they've struggled to win in Durham in the past, so good to uh, good to get by at that point. That was pretty much it for the ACC light week. It's a light week this week. Yep. Um, but let's jump into the Pit preview, Tim. So Pit Virginia Tech. It's always a big game, right? Um, it's it's a rivalry. I mean, I don't know if it's like a heated rivalry, but
1: it's yeah. a it's a rivalry
0: game, sure. Um, always always big. Uh, you know, both teams are one to know this year in the ACC. Um, both control their own destiny. Destiny, technically, but both teams have wildly different vibes about them right now. And so, if you look at Pitt, Pitt hasn't played the most difficult schedule. You know, their most challenging game was a road test against Tennessee that they won. Forty-one thirty-four. that was the game where Hinton Hooker got in for the first time for an injured Joe Milton, and threw an interception late, his only interception of the year, right. um, to seal the game for for Pitt, and maybe if Hinton Hooker starts that game, maybe maybe it's a different result, I don't know. Their one conference game was a win against Georgia Tech, which they blew them out a couple of weeks ago, 52-21. Their other two wins are over UMass and New Hampshire. The New Hampshire FCS game, same week Virginia Tech played Richmond. You know Virginia Tech put up 14 offensive points. Pitt put up 77. You know yeah. so. How's Their was that one head scratching loss came to Western Michigan. A solid MAC team. They're four and two this year, but a loss that's really tough to comprehend. I think if you look at that game, Pitt struggled with turnovers but they also gave up 44 points. So that's the thing I've noticed about Pitt this year. Very experienced team, but they give up a lot of points on defense. Um, Even though they have a fairly strong front seven, the secondary is their issue, which when you're playing Virginia Tech, maybe it's not that big of an issue, but the most difficult defense they've gone up against is Tennessee, which has been up and down all year. The Hokies' defense rates out better, quite a bit better than Tennessee's defense, actually. So it's going to be the biggest challenge all year uh, for Pitt. And so you take that, you take the emergence of Kenny Pickett, who is second in the country in pass efficiency, 19 touchdowns, one interception. Pitt overall leads the nation in scoring average at 52.4 points per game. They haven't scored less than 41 points per game. And if you remember last year, Pitt beat Virginia Tech 47-14, to and Pickett had over 400 yards passing. So, I mentioned their experience, and I don't know this for sure, but it, it looks like on paper Pitt is probably the most experienced team in the country, and could be part of the reason they're having success on offense, um, but veteran team, fairly well coached. This is year 3-4 now of the Mark Whipple system on offense, and you know, you got to give some credit to Whipple because he has really developed Kenny Pickett into a uh, formidable quarterback, probably the best quarterback in the ACC. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's I, been I interesting to watch that, that, that unfold.
1: Yeah, Pitt is, Pitt is interesting when you talk about the metamorphosis of that offense and what Whipple has done as far as changing their identity on the offensive side of the football. But I think you hit on it, you know, when we – bellyache and moan about the lack of development in the quarterback uh, or at the quarterback position for Virginia tech. When we're talking about an ideal scenario, Pitt is what it looks like. When you look at times where Kenny Pickett has looked lost in the past, how he slowly, but surely improved every year, gotten better. Um, right now we're seeing the final form of Kenny Pickett. And it is, I think right now he's clearly the best quarterback in the ACC and, um, and that's with Sam Howell even being thrown into the mix, which is saying a lot because Howell has played well. Um, but that, that offense is tremendous and is going to be a, a difficult matchup for Virginia Tech just because we have not played a quarterback of that caliber to this point in the season. Um, when you go back and look at the quarterbacks we have played, Sam Howell obviously was great, um, not great in the game, but a great quarterback. But how much stock can you put into the results against UNC being the first game, um, being it, you know, there was nothing really on tape for either team to really draw upon what the defense is going to try to do. And when you look at who we have played, you know, your Bailey Hockmans, your second string quarterback at Richmond, your cones, um, State or Virginia Tech secondary has had it quite easy to this point. And, I, you know, I'm thinking this is going to be a tough, tough matchup even though I would say that our, our, our coverage has been great and I think it's a strength of the team, uh, we're going to know a lot more about our secondary come Sunday morning.
0: Yeah, and I think the defense overall, right? Because if you look at Pitt, historically, if you pressure the quarterback, if you cause them to create turnovers, if you're you know, wreaking that havoc, um, which leads me to my first key of the game, Um, you have a really good shot to beat Pitt. The best way to beat Pitt is to get Narduzzi fired up, to get his team committing a bunch of penalties, which they're probably going to do anyway. But really, it's about turning over the football. So that's what happened in their loss to Western Michigan. They turned over the football. If Virginia Tech can do that, uh, they have a very good chance to keep the game close. Okay, they they have to be opportunistic in this game A defensive touchdown, a special teams touchdown Would go a long way um, Especially with an offense like theirs that's struggling The other thing they have to do is pressure the quarterback yep. And much like they did against Jack Cohn in the first quarter last week Or against Sam Howell, The Hokies are going to have to get pressure on Pickett Or else they don't stand a chance in this game Pickett is uh, more elusive than you think I think he's got somewhere Definitely. around 130 something running yards but he he's good at extending plays. You know, he's not a run first quarterback by any stretch, but he's good at extending plays. He's a big quarterback. He's hard to take down. So you have to be aggressive. You can't give him all day to throw. They've got an experienced offensive line that's I think rated number 2 in the ACC in pass blocking. They're not a very good rushing football team. They don't have to be. Because they just throw the ball so much and they're so dependent on that. And with no Dax Olifield in the in the first half, because of the targeting call in last week's game, it sounds like Keshawn Artis might get the nod there. You're gonna assume that Barno is gonna be the spy again, uh, especially you know, for what I just mentioned, as his pickett's threat to run. I'm just hoping tech in this game isn't too conservative. I hope they go out there and they they let their their corners play man, and they they press, and they're blitzing, and they're trying to get pressure on Pickett to force some kind of turnover. Because you have to make him uncomfortable, and that's where Virginia Tech's had success against Pickett in the past is making him uncomfortable, getting him rattled.
1: Yeah, and you know when a quarterback's coming in playing as well as he is, I'm always uh, I'm a disciple of you make them uncomfortable, you pressure them to death. You don't give them a second to breathe. I think that's the recipe for going up against anyone that isn't Drew Brees, Peyton Manning. That has you know a release that is almost quick. You so quick you can't see it. Uh, Pickett's not one of those guys. And yeah, key to victory, you nailed it. We've seen the special teams touchdown, the defensive touchdown come in crucial for a team that has a hard time on offense of putting the ball in the end zone. So, getting a defensive touchdown, and a special teams touchdown, will go a long way into potentially securing a victory uh, for Virginia Tech. There's no doubt about it.
0: The other thing on defense that I'll be really interested to watch is uh, Jordan Allison and how they defend him. So, he's Pitt's leading receiver, sophomore, plays primarily out of the slot, and he's really their kind of X factor on offense. He's got over 500 yards receiving already, nine touchdowns, and Typically, you see Shamari Connor uh, defend the slot receiver in this defense. That feels like a big time mismatch for me. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what what Hamilton does to contain Addison all day. And I think if they can kind of take him out and you know slow him down um, while also getting pressure on on Pickett. I think that'll go a long way in the defense, but that's that's something to watch. So Jordan Allison, for me, is like the Josh Downs of this offense. He's the right. guy who, you know, you've got some other pieces on the outside, Shocky Jock-Louis, who we love to say that name, to Sir Mack. You know, you've got guys like that that can definitely hurt you, but Allison's the game-breaker.
1: Yeah, th- there's no question, especially when you look at their success and statistics throughout the year, it's clear that, through the air he's the the first person they go to um, and you know sad news this was on Twitter shortly before we started recording um, he's got an illness of some kind I don't know how serious it is and I don't know if he's actually gonna miss time or not um, but he's got a little bit of an illness. If he's playing, obviously you want to make that a focus to stopping him because he is, as you said, I think Josh Downs is a really good comp when you talk about what he's brought uh, to the team. So he's averaging about 100 yards a game. And, you know, when you've got a guy that's that prolific, and I think more than anything, Addison is especially dangerous because of his ability to score. Uh, you're talking about a wide receiver who a little under halfway through the season has always racked up or already racked up nine touchdowns that's clearly going to be a key to slowing down that pit offense. And there's no doubt that Tech is going to do everything we can possibly do in regards to lining up our coverage and making sure we're finding him where he's at on the field and staying aware of what they're trying to do with him because no matter what anyone has really tried to do to him this year, he, he haven't really been able to slow him down. And right. if we have any hope of taking the edge off that pit-passing offense, it, you're right, it's with Addison and, and figuring out how to make sure he's not – quite the same player he's been to this point in the season.
0: The other thing is, uh, and this is this is my lone offensive key to the game, and it's a terrifying reality, if I'm being honest with you. I know um, where you're
1: going with this because of what you just said, and I couldn't yeah. agree more just in advance. Yeah, I mean, they, they're going to have to air it out. They are. They're, we're going to have to be aggressive and throw the football, and that's the weakness of this pit defense. And you're talking about a Virginia Tech team, right, that struggles to run the football? um passing is passing is the way and that probably should be terrifying based on what we've seen to this point
0: yeah and so you know if they can establish some kind of run i think you know what we saw with burmeister last week or what i what i felt like i was watching was a more um instinctual quarterback player after he came back with the shoulder injury because yeah. he seemed much more willing to say, you know what, I'm just going to take off and run. And if he can play like that, I think it's going to open up some plays downfield, especially against a defense like this. And, you know, even with what he was dealing with, for whatever reason, like it was it was the most accurate he looked downfield all season. I mean, yeah. he, was, he was putting throws on the money. Um, and I don't know if that was adrenaline or what it was, but you know, or just being more comfortable or just playing loose, like nothing to lose, if he can play like that, have that kind of mentality, um, Virginia Tech can score points in this game. And I think what we've seen with Virginia Tech is they can make plays down the field. The receivers can make plays down the field. That's what was so disappointing about the the Turner drop, right? Because to that point, I felt like Turner's had a, a pretty solid year for the opportunities that he's been given. Um, And to see him drop a a ball in that situation with the game on the line at that point was tough to watch. Um, But... Burmeister's going to go back to him. The opportunity's going to be there. and He's going to need him in order to beat pit this week. He's going to need Savion Robinson. He's going to need Caleb Smith. He's going to need to get the tight ends involved in the, in the game. He's going to need guys like Raheem Blackshear. It is going to be a full team effort in the passing game. And jumping into the predictions, Tim, you know, if you look at Virginia Tech, the last three games in the series have had enormous point differentials. You know, if you go back to 2018, Pitt beats Virginia Tech 52-22. to That was the game that Darren Hall and Quadrioles and just, you know, ran Virginia Tech back to Blacksburg. The next year, Virginia Tech shuts out Pitt 28-0 at home. And then last year, of course, Pitt routes Virginia Tech 47-14. to So before that, we had had a series of close games. I think what we're seeing in Virginia Tech this year is... They're playing up to the level of the opponent, or they're playing down to the level of the opponent. So I think this game will be tight for a while anyway, but I don't have faith that they're going to be able to keep pace with Pitt. Um, I think Pitt's going to just do too much on offense. I don't see how Virginia Tech can keep up. Now this could totally be a situation where they come out, they beat Pitt, they look fantastic, and then, you know, they lose to Syracuse the next week, because that's what Virginia Tech does. If we're being yeah. honest with ourselves, absolutely. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at on this game. You know, the most points Tech has scored is 35. The fewest points Pitt has scored is 41. You know, I said this earlier. Their last two games, Tech has only combined for 36 offensive points when you take away defense or special teams, touchdowns um, Richmond is included in that. So I really see this as a 38 uh, 20 loss for the Hokies at home. Um, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it's a, there's elements of trust here and the staff is going to need to trust Braxton Burmeister to throw the football down the field. When you looked at that pit game, Pitt. Lost, obviously, um, to Western Michigan. Western Michigan, Caleb Ellaby, their quarterback, had a great game. um, But specifically in the wide receiving core, they had two guys go for over 100 yards. And Tech certainly has two players that can put up those kind of numbers split out wide. Um, When you talk about Tavion and Trey. Now, I'm not going to be too hard on Trey for the drop uh, last week. I I do think it was a a little bit of a harder catch than maybe we, we thought initially. Um, seeming like he could only almost get fingertips to it. And you're right, that was, you know, not characteristic, but it came at a crucial time and really broke our back. But you bring up a good point about Braxton in that last drive. Something about him, whether it was a switch that flipped, whether it was uh, the perk, who knows. But he did seem more instinctual. And if we can get instinctual play out of the quarterback position and less check down Charlie uh, handcuffing from the coaching staff, I think that would go a long way. If you're going to take the shackles off your quarterback, this is the game you're going to want to do it. I don't think that's going to happen just because I've got a lot of evidence that I can point to that says we're going to come out and be conservative on offense because, and I hate to say this, but that seems to be our identity, we seem to be scared of success and potential explosive plays. I expect that to continue. And because of this, I think think Kenny Pickett is going to have another good game I think our secondary, which is a decent-to-good secondary, is going to have their first real test, um, you know, because there were so much fluky things going on in that Carolina game where you can't expect to go out there again and throw up that kind of dominant performance, where I just feel like Kenny, given what he's done, given the experience, given the system, uh, and what Whipple's crew has been doing, I feel like they are going to score, let's say, 31 points i see like maybe a 31 to 20 here um and i wouldn't be surprised if one of those 20 is a special teams or defensive touchdown because that we seem to be excelling in those areas um that feels right to me i i'm not super hopeful on the Hokies chances here just because of the two absolutely demoralizing losses we've suffered this year along with inept coaching and i don't expect us to be able to take advantage of Pitt's true weakness on defense, which is that secondary. Um, There's just nothing that we can look at or point to that says we should have any hope of going into that game and having success through the air. Now, we should. They're not great at stopping the pass, but I think there's no better defense against Virginia Tech's passing defense than the scheme from Brad Cornelson. And I expect Brad to play great pass defense again, and keep the Hokies from excelling through the air and leading to another uh, demoralizing defeat to the hands of the Pitt Panthers. So you've got Pitt, I've got Pitt, uh, and again, Pitt is a
0: four-and-a-half-point favorite in Blacksburg, uh, which, uh, which hurts. It hurts to see that, but uh, tough, to, tough to disagree let's uh, jump over to the rest let's do uh let's do some more lines here Tim so we've got Clemson at Syracuse Friday night Clemson is a 13 and a half point favorite who you got
1: I have got and this seems weird I'm doing it again but I'm gonna take Clemson in this one uh, regardless of how bad they looked in the carrier Dome four years ago I think that uh you know every, everything seems to be uh, calmed down and in, in that regard as far as um, Sort of a trap game for Clemson because they're just not the team that has to worry about trap games right now because every game's a trap game, so they are going to come out fully focused and fully ready to beat Syracuse. I think the athletes are going to make the difference on the Clemson side of the ball, and I'm still waiting on it. And I'm going to call it every time before it happens. DJU is going to go for over 250 in this game, um, and and look like a somewhat respectable Power Five quarterback. So give me Clemson to to beat the spread. Um, well to cover the spread in this case and uh, beat Syracuse in the carrier gnome
0: yeah I'm gonna go Syracuse I uh this to me is not a great recipe for Clemson struggling offense they're on a road in a difficult place to play they've had issues with Syracuse in the past when they were actually good and I think the way Syracuse plays football right now and with the way that Clemson is playing football, 13 and a half points is a lot of points. And I expect this game to come down to the wire. And I may even put some money on the Syracuse money line in this one. So I'm going to go for Syracuse plus 13 and a half. I'm going to take that to the bank. Duke at UVA. UVA minus 11 and a half. Do you got
1: I am going to take uh, UVA again uh, to cover the spread here. Um, I think that they're going to do enough through the air uh, that obviously that's really their only hope. If they're going to win, they're going to do it through the air, but I like what they're doing. I like the amount of success they've had. The defense has somewhat tightened up from being completely abysmal to just now being really bad. Um, and, you know, the the only thing uh, that really kind of sways this too in my direction is is Duke really struggling in pass defense, um, already giving up 263 yards through the air uh, to uh, opposing teams. And they haven't really played a hard schedule to this point uh, with the likes of Kansas, North Carolina, A&T, Charlotte. um, And if if you're struggling to defend the pass, UVA is probably the last team that you wanna see. So I expect a lot of touchdowns and UVA to come out uh, covering that spread.
0: Yeah, I, um, I'm taking UVA 2, which means Duke will probably cover because, however, I pick the UVA games, it goes the other way. Um, I just think the offense is too high powered. I do think Duke is going to try and slow the game down with Mateo Durant, which they'll probably be able to do to an extent, but 11.5 points with, like you mentioned, the pass defense issues and the passing offense the UVA has, it. It just seems like they're going to win by at least two touchdowns, probably more. Uh, Miami at North Carolina, UNC is a seven and a half point favorite. And if you missed it, Derek King is out for the year with the shoulder injury. So it just keeps getting worse for Miami, but they are turning to four star freshman Tyler Van Dyke who has uh, played, he, uh, he started the game against UVA a game. They probably should have won. And then, uh, the, uh, the game against Central Connecticut before that. But, Tim, how uh, how you leaning into this one?
1: This one's fairly easy for me. I think I've seen enough of Miami this year, uh, a team that struggles on defense uh, and already is pretty much demoralized with a 2-3 and three record uh, going against a team which, regardless of how you feel about them and what they've done in the past, has the ability to really score points. Um, so I'm obviously going to lean towards the, uh, the dynamic offense in that case. I see this as a two touchdown win for UNC. So covering a seven point spread should be no problem for the Tar Heels.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm in the opposite direction as you here. I, uh, I'm just not feeling the Tar Heels right now. Um, I can't blame you. Performance they had against Florida State, the performance they had against Georgia Tech. I felt similar about those games, right? And, uh, honestly, Miami's a better team than both of those teams. Um, and Miami's got their issues, don't get me wrong, but I like that Van Dyke's got some, some time under his belt. You know, he's, he's a little bit battle-tested at this point. Um, playing on the road, playing at home doesn't really matter for Miami, in my opinion, because um, they don't really have a home environment. Statistically, these two teams are very even. Um, and I think Miami's D can keep the game interesting and it will uh unc has just been too up and down so i think i'm gonna lean miami to cover i do think unc squeaks out the win but it's going to be close um in my opinion so last game here nc state at boston college nc state a a half point favorite on the road in chestnut hill who you got
1: Chestnut Hill seems to be a weird place to go and games there can completely turn on their head. Boston college. I, I hate picking such a one dimensional team, so I'm going to avoid it. Um, but nothing through the air, I think should scare a really good NC state defense and NC state's run defense this year has been pretty good. Um, Tony Gibson's done a really good job with that defense. I think the three, three, five stacks going to do its job. And I expect NC state to cover that spread. Um, you know, a lot of offensive weapons on the NC State side and this is a huge game for the Wolfpack. Uh, you know, I think obviously getting past that monkey on their back and Clemson having their eyes set on an Atlantic division title in what may be their only window, uh, in the coming years to actually get one, given, you know, the strength of teams on that side. Uh, I just see this as a game where N C State should be laser focused and it should cover that spread and um, this may be a one-touchdown win. I'm not expecting NC State to absolutely mop the floor with Boston College. Uh, but given that it is only 3.5, I think I'm going to be leaning Wolfpack on this one.
0: Yeah, it's another tough game to, uh, to pick. 3.5 points on the road against a, a well-coached and pretty solid Boston College team is tough for me to to lean with. And I think this is going to be a good game. I think it has the chance to come down to the wire um either way, I think it's a three-point game that NC State ends up winning, uh, but that would mean B.C. covers. So I'm going to go with the B.C. cover there. Um, what is your wild-card game of the week?
1: So wild-card game of the week, you know, LSU, uh, the football program, seems to be just falling apart at the seams right now. Florida's rolling into town as an 11-point favorite. That seems crazy talking about an LSU team. But LSU again struggling three and three right now. Um, losses obviously coming to decent teams, except for the you know the last most recent loss against Kentucky, which Kentucky not bad, uh, but that was certainly a beatdown they put down on LSU with a score of forty-two to twenty-one. So I like Florida a lot. I picked them to uh, cover against Bama so I gotta ride with the Gators again I I think they're gonna cover that 11 point spread in Death Valley and that seems ridiculous talking about um, it seems like we're in almost a twilight zone with that spread being as high as it is Uh, but I'm gonna go Gators in that one and uh, hopefully ride a a better team versus one that seems to be uh, like I said completely just lost at the moment and what's the spread there? 11 points
0: Okay, so Florida minus 11 right? that's correct I'm gonna stay in the SEC. Uh, I'm gonna go Ole Miss at Tennessee. Tennessee is a two and a half point dog, but I like what Tennessee is doing on offense. I've uh, I've watched some Tennessee this year. Um, they've s- kind of you know slightly been flying under the radar, uh, but they're putting together a pretty solid campaign. They hung with Florida for a bit. Hendon Hooker you know, completing 70% of his passes, 13 touchdowns, one pick, fifth best passer rating in the country, tops in the SEC. This is an important game for them because they're sitting at four and two and they're about to go to a stretch that has, they're hosting number 13, Ole Miss. Then they go on the road to Bama. Then they go on the road to Kentucky, who's ranked number 11, by the way. And then they host number one, Georgia, four straight weeks. So, this is a very important game they need the win and I think they're gonna get it so I'm not just picking them to cover but I'm picking them to win uh, down there in um, Old Nealon Stadium so I don't really want to talk about the week six results um, it was it was a tough one for our picks I went one in five the worst week I've had you were two and four so gain yes. you gain a, you gain Let's a game go. on go.
1: I got a game. I mean, I wouldn't. We're celebrate back that in it, time. baby. You're embarrassing oh, I'm, yourself. I'm celebrating. You're I know you yourself. can't hear it, but there is champagne popping right now. And um, I will just say, I'd like to thank everyone that's been here for me through these tough times. Uh, but we've we, we've been through the worst. The the sun always rises. Um, we're here, and we're here to stay. I you know, uh, I'd like to thank the Lord, my Savior. Um, Again, everybody that was there for me, everybody who put their faith, their hopes, their dreams and um, their wallets behind me. It means a lot. Thank you for the support, and, uh, and I look forward to hopefully taking you next week. Losing the majority of your money. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Just as a side note, disclaimer, do not use any of my picks as a basis for your own. If history shows you one thing, it's that if I pick one thing, your best bet is to pick the opposite.
0: Yeah. So I think, uh, I think your overall is now 18 and 29. I'm 27-20. And, um, and we had very similar picks last week, and it felt we like did. all of our picks came down to the wire, and we lost them at the last second. Yep. You know, the Louisville loss. I had Texas, which, if you watch the Cotton Bowl, uh, that game was insane, and the way it ended. Texas was a three-and-a-half-point underdog. You're thinking, okay, Oklahoma's going to get some more yards here, kick a field goal, this is going to cover... No, nope, Texas just decided they weren't gonna stop the run at all, and you know, just get embarrassed after blowing a huge lead. Um, you know, wake in overtime. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of close games. Our kind of deciding game there, Tim, was you had Florida State. Um, I had North Carolina, which obviously uh, looked like a terrible pick, but is what it is. So let's uh, we'll see how week seven. Shakes out, it's starting to get more difficult because that ACC wheel is spinning uh, so hard and the ACC is just getting wildly, wildly unpredictable right now. Um, you really just don't know what's going to happen, what teams are going to look like week to week. Um, so yeah, I mean, you just got to sit back and, and watch it and take it for what it is and
1: just kind of see how the dust settles at the end of the year. And just, you know, be thankful that your rooting interests lie in a conference to follow that is so unpredictable and exciting. Uh, what more could you ask for?
0: So that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. Um, if you could do us one favor, Tim, why don't you enlighten them on that favor?
1: Leave us a review. Keep participating with us on Twitter on game days or off game days, even though we're far less active. Um, but yeah, that five-star review would be a great help. helps with our visibility. Um, And everybody likes to see those numbers go up. At least us podcasters like to see those numbers go up on those reviews. We appreciate it. You know, thankful for the reviews we've got this year. And for those of you that had stuck around for the past three or four years with us, we certainly appreciate it. One last thing I'd like to touch on that I see again, and I've harped on this in the past, being negative about the outlook of the football program does not make you any less of a fan than someone who is positive in the face of every statistic and quantifiable result known to man. So please, if you feel the urge to say someone who is negative, it quote, quote unquote, isn't a real fan um, or, quote, unquote, isn't supporting the team, don't be that guy. Just know that regardless of how negative anything that we say on this podcast sounds, Justin and I will watch every Virginia Tech football game that will ever be played. And if we're not, it's because someone someone foolishly scheduled a wedding uh, during a football game. And I can say with my whole heart, nothing in this world makes me prouder than being a Virginia Tech Hokie. And those kids on that football team will have my support, good or bad, uh, for as long as I'm walking this earth.
0: Yeah, and like, listen, I'm a fan of the Green Bay Packers. I'm an alum of Virginia Tech. And to steal the line from the SEC, it just means more, right? So It does. um, It does you know i i get a little uh, emotional from time to time and i i don't think we're being super negative we're just kind of calling it like like we see it and it it is what it is right i mean f- sometimes is. facts facts hurt
1: yeah sorry yeah. i mean they do Re- reality stings in a lot of cases and i think college football is one of those where we tend to suspend reality and look through uh, rose tinted glasses at times and try to see the best in every bad situation, and I understand that everyone copes differently um, and has different reactions to uh, negative things. So I'm not faulting anyone that it chooses to be positive, uh, but don't don't be the person that. Uh, besmirches everyone who has a negative opinion or is frustrated with what has become the status quo of this football program. Because I can tell you, nothing is more off base. We all want the same things. We just have different ways of voicing how we feel and have different feelings about the way things have gone. And I think at this point to say that there's anything even remotely bad about being negative... being realistic given the amount of evidence that we have uh, there may be a better place for you to channel your energy um, and go about your day with that being said
0: go Hokies beat pit and we'll talk to you guys next week adios